The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it's time for our Ask the Experts segment. And joining me this week is Medical Director and Consultant Ophthalmologist at the Wellington Eye Clinic at the Beacon, Dr. Arthur Cummings. Arthur, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Thank you. Great to see you again. Now, um, I'm reading about some new um, techniques in eye surgery, be they laser or otherwise, which are quite revolutionary. Exactly, Pat. This is interesting. You're going to find this really interesting because it goes beyond just medicine. And so what I'm going to speak about now for a moment is presbyopia, so getting rid of reading glasses, and also just vision correction in general. So, you know, I spend most of my time doing vision correction, and we believe we help a lot of people see better. But it turns out that when you look at the numbers, the number of people we help is really, we're only scratching the surface. Only about 1% or 2% of the population ever consider vision correction. And so there are a couple of reasons. One would be the perception that it might be expensive or costly, but the truth is the most expensive procedure is a fraction of the cost of lifetime of glasses and contact lenses. So it's very good value in that way. But the other thing is the risk of fear. And when you think about it, the, the part I want to speak to is, is, is the fear part. So when you correct your vision, what you have is you have the benefit of seeing every waking minute. So you get, you get a lot of benefits in the meantime. And you own your vision rather than renting it. And by that we mean when you wake up in the morning at three for your crying baby, you can see if you're surfing or you're in the swimming in the sea, you can see. You're not, you're not not seeing when you don't have your glasses. So I've always thought that the, the success of vision correction and the interest, the popularity, because we're seeing a group of patients who are coming in to see us, so they're the group who come in, the small group who come in, is partially due to the fact of its relevant, its, its uh it's, um, it's permanence. You know, you do the procedure yeah. and it works for a very, very long time. I remember uh, talking to an eye surgeon years ago, long retired, uh, who said that one of the people that he treated with laser surgery was someone who literally, if they went swimming, didn't know which way the land was or which way out to sea was. They were so myopic. Exactly. And the, the, the joy, the tears of joy that that person shed when they got the eye corrected was just, it, it was a miracle to them. A miracle. Exactly. So, Papa, listen to this. You're going to love this. So, I've got a biased view. I see the people who come in for surgery. I don't see the 98% of the population who don't. So, when you speak to them, the permanence, which I regard as a, a benefit, is often perceived as not being a benefit, but a risk. Because if you did do the surgery and you got a result that you weren't happy with, well, then you're sort of permanently unhappy. So what I'm going to speak to you about today are two additive techniques. So we now have two additive techniques. The one we did the clinical trial in 2018 for presbyopia. It's now become a commercial product. So you can add a little piece of corneal tissue into the cornea, and it typically works, and if it works, brilliant. And if it doesn't work, you can remove it, and you return to baseline. The other procedure you already know about is called ICL. They've been using for a long time, since 97. But we've typically being using it only for those patients who are not candidates for laser vision correction. So it's typically the very high myopes, minus 10, minus 12, that yeah. kind of number. But the success with ICL has grown so much that people now with much lower prescriptions who would be suitable for laser are sometimes choosing ICL because of the fact that it's reversible. So both of these procedures, if someone got a result that they weren't happy with, they can simply come back and they can have the additive element removed. So it's a bit like Botox in a way, I guess, is some people, instead of having plastic surgery to the face, would maybe use Botox because of the, the lack of permanence. Sure. And if they got a result they weren't happy with, it eventually wears off and they start again kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's an interesting mindset, isn't it, that 
the, the fact that it's permanent, which typically we'd regard as being a big benefit for many, is, is the risk. Now, what about people who've got uh, the need for uh, bifocals or two pairs of glasses, in other words, or uh, contact lenses that work for them some of the time? They have difficulty if they don't have any help at all. They can't read and they can't see distance. Now, what do you do with people like that? So there are quite a few options, depending on their age. Now, of course, they're all going to be 45 because that's when this whole presbyopia thing starts. So the younger presbyopia you can correct with vision, with laser vision correction. You can correct with this addition I've just spoken about, allotex. Um, and as someone starts getting older, you start thinking more along the lines of a lens replacement. So they're not a million miles away from a cataract, potentially. So you're going to sort of kill two birds with one stone, correct the vision and preempt the cataract surgery. So you can't call that a cataract. It's not a cataract. So it's done as a lens replacement surgery. Your insurance won't cover that. Your insurance will cover a procedure once it's already, once you have a cataract. And then when you have a cataract, you always replace the cloudy lens you've removed with an implant. And there are two basic principles. The one is you can implant a lens that has a fixed focus. And then in the one eye, you go for distance, the one eye, you go for near or intermediate. Or you can implant balance between the two eyes where the lens itself gives you the range of focus. There's a really good term we've been using for the last few years. I heard it at a lecture in, at a big European meeting where this, the presenter spoke about there's no free lunch in optics. So whatever you do, you're always making a compromise. And it's my job as the ophthalmologist to figure out what your best compromise is. And then it's your job to, to review that and say, well, if that's your best compromise, is it better than what I currently have as a compromise? Yeah. Um, so many uh, questions coming into us. Uh, I wore glasses religiously from four to 14 years uh, for a lazy eye until we went on holiday to the US and I decided to get my eyes checked over there. They said I'd been given the wrong prescription in my glasses for years and that my eye cannot be fixed as it was too late. In my 20s, I went for a consultation for laser treatment, but the doctor said the problem with my eye is basically like a spinal injury and can't be fixed. I'm now in my late 30s. I've only 10% vision in my bad eye. Have there been any advances in the area that might help me? There have been amazing advances in this area. And I think in the entire area of nerve and nerve damage that are in advances. In this particular area, there's been very good advances. And especially for the person who has a big difference between the two eyes. And it sounds like this could have been the issue here. So if you have two eyes where the one eye is seeing relatively well and the other eye is seeing poorly, the brain makes it its task to ignore the eye that's not seeing well. So you get this sensory deprivation. And your vision develops in the first seven years of life. And typically, once the first seven years are gone, we've been led to believe over the years that there's nothing more you can do. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. There's a treatment now called Bionox. It's a form of dicoptic therapy where the brain gets taught how to use that eye again. And the old story of patching has a value if it's before the age of seven, but nothing like dicoptic therapy. What patching would do is you'd close the good eye, occlude the good eye, and the brain would be forced to use the lazy yeah. eye. So it would improve somewhat. But the moment both eyes were open, the brain would revert back to the good eye yeah. and ignore the bad eye again. What dicoptic therapy does is the two eyes binocularly are stimulated to produce binocular vision. So it works in a different part of the brain called the binocular column cells. And so there is treatment now. So it's very worthwhile checking out. The reader can, or the listener can go look at binox.com, B-Y-N-O-C-S.com. Uh, can the optic nerve be repaired? That's from Ger. Yeah, the, the bad news there for the moment, no. But I do know of, of companies with a very big interest in looking at nerve repair. And you've just heard with Binox that nerve function can be improved again. Um, but nerve repair is still something which is 
It's a big need. There's no question. Glaucoma at the end of the day is nerve damage. So if that could be repaired, you could reverse glaucomatous damage. And um, yeah, not for now, but it's, it's, it's a big, yes, it's a big need. Um, ask your ophthalmologist, could plus seven and plus 6.5 be treated with the new laser technology? So generally speaking, plus six is too high for laser. It's too high for laser. Alatex, which is the, the treatment you can do for presbyopia when you can't read anymore, also have a version where you can make a lenticule with a plus seven power and implant into the cornea. And again, if the person wasn't happy, you could remove it. So there's value there. But mostly for plus sevens, it would be with a lens replacement, mostly. But for young people, that's not an option. You know, for someone at 30, we're not replacing the lens. Uh, I had laser surgery to correct age-related symptoms, needing reading glasses about 11 years ago. This brilliant procedure worked very well, but now I'm beginning to need reading glasses again. Can I have repeat surgery? That's Veronica. You can have repeat surgery, and the person evaluating you will decide whether your best option is repeating the surgery again or, in fact, replacing your lens. The reason your vision is changing is because the lens is changing. And all of our lenses change throughout our lives because the lens has the same origin as skin, nails and hair, which means it never stops growing. So as the lens continues growing, it continues changing. My nine-year-old daughter has almost two years into combined ortho-K and atropine sulfate treatment with positive results on the axial length of the eye. Now, she's nine. At what age would she be a suitable candidate for laser eye surgery? That's from Carl. That is such a good question, Carl. Um, So typically we don't consider laser vision correction before 18, but there are places around the world, academic institutions, that are looking at doing it earlier with exactly the point of why you're using those treatments for your daughter, and that's stopping the progression of myopia. So it, it looks as though some of the treatments for stopping progression, like some contact lenses and some special glasses called DIN glasses, and work on the same principle that laser's been doing all along, and that is correcting the central vision but the peripheral vision remains at the minus four or the minus five. And that peripheral defocus is what puts the brakes on. So 18 is a good time to consider it. I'm in the process of getting my eyes lasered as I'm fed up with wearing glasses. I'm turning 72. I want to be able to see in the distance what are my best options. That's from Anne. So Anne, one thing you've got to consider at 72 is that, you know, the average age of cataract surgery in Ireland is around about 68. So even if your lenses are still clear, you've got to bear in mind that the, the longevity of the procedure is going to be limited by when you may get cataracts. Now, everyone eventually gets cataracts, but only 30% of people ever require surgery. So even though you have a cataract, you might still be seeing okay. So you'd really want your lens very well evaluated to make sure your lens is clear before you proceed with laser. Many years ago, I had sarcoidosis in both my retina. Once treated, I'm left with scar tissue, which luckily is just out of my line of sight so as not to affect my vision too much. However, I've also been left with an amount of floaters that on sunny days can be like peering through two snow globes. Would there be a laser treatment that could get rid of these or am I stuck with this for life? No, you're certainly not stuck with it for life. There are two things. One is you may neuroadapt. It sounds like you've had it for long enough, so that's not really happening. The second thing is we all get something called a vitreous detachment. And when the jelly comes loose and moves further forward in the eye, the impact on your vision reduces. There is a laser treatment that you can use to break the jelly up into smaller pieces and then the floaters diminish. But the ultimate treatment is, in fact, doing a thing called a vitrectomy, a procedure called a vitrectomy. And that removes the gel and the gel then gets replaced with clear water. And then it's really clear. So there are treatments you can do. Good morning. I have an astigmatism in my left eye. I'm 49 years old. I'm male and have a little difficulty with reading small print. Can an astigmatism be treated with laser? Very, very effectively. Very much so. Since 1997. Uh, My husband recently lost his sight. He has NAON, N-A-I-O-N. 
Right, that's non-arteritic um, ischemic optic neuropathy. So all that means is when you, when you suddenly lose vision in the nerve, you've got to figure out whether the cause is inflammatory. So that'd be arteritic. So not arteritic, which is arthritis, but rather arteritic, which is arteritis, so inflammation of the artery wall. If you have inflammation of the artery wall, you can get a stroke of, of the nerves, which means the nerve doesn't have a blood supply. And if the nerve doesn't have a blood supply for four or five minutes, just think of brain death, you know, the nerve stops functioning and you can't really reverse that. So non-arteritic means this person has had a loss of sight without there being an arteritis, but there are other causes. And um, ischemic optic neuropathy is, it can be sudden and it can be retinal or it can be in the optic nerve. If it's retinal, we can see it. We'll see hemorrhages in the back of the eye. And that often would, would respond quite well. If you don't see hemorrhages, then it's in the nerve behind the eye. And right now, unless there's active inflammation and you've made the diagnosis within the last 24 hours of onset, so it's the window is very, mm. very small, then using steroids can reverse that. But if it's anything after 24 hours, you, uh, you know you've, you're clutching at straws, but you've got to try, but you're clutching at straws. The truth is there's no real treatment once the damage is done. Uh, I get flashing lights regularly that slowly track across my eye before disappearing, usually in 20 minutes. Uh, the optician says it's optical migraine. Is there anything I could do to prevent them, or should I be worried? So if it's optical migraine, um, no, it's just it's part of migraine. One of the ways to figure out if it is migraine is to, in fact, use migraine medication, even though you're not getting the headaches, to see if it diminishes them. The other cause of, of lights, flashes and things inside your eye would be the jelly coming loose. So if there's vitreous traction, the technical term for the, for the jelly is the, the vitreous. If that's pulling at the retina, you also tend to see lights. Uh, my nephew is six years old, extremely sensitive to light. He started wearing sunglasses in the living room in the mornings. He's now asked if he can wear them at school. We're waiting for an ophthalmology appointment, but should we request an urgent one? Uh, I don't, th I'm not sure. It's quite an unusual complaint. So I think, yeah, the sooner it's done, the better, I would think. I'm seeing a good pediatric ophthalmologist. There might be th things like allergy. There might be things with the corneal shape. So if there's an early condition where the cornea is deformed in some way, that can give you additional light scatter. Um, there could be inf inflammation inside the eye. So I do think, on reflection, I do think that the sooner this young person is seen, the better. Yeah, I mean, if the kid is asking to wear sunglasses, yes, he must be uncomfortable. Exactly. Um, I have irritation in my right eye for over two years. It flares up and settles down intermittently, but it's always present, never really goes away. At worst, I get red eye, which leaks. It's itchy. It needs cleaning in the mornings. At best, it's always slightly inflamed, but still needs cleaning in the morning. It's the same place on my bottom lid, in the middle of that lid. I've always had quite bad dry eye in this eye, but it also leaks profusely in the evenings. I've been to a doctor numerous times. I've tried numerous ointments, also been to my optometrist, and I've had eye health examinations via, via imaging. All seems good. I maintain the good eye. Um, so I, what could be causing this it sounds, it sounds very much like a chronic blepharitis. Now, most times chronic blepharitis is in both eyes. And blepharitis is an infection of the eyelid margin. It's caused by a bug called Staphylococcus aureus and Staphylococcus epidermidis that's on our skin. Yeah. So it often comes from rubbing. So if someone's getting this in one eye only, they likely are right-handed rubbing the right eye more. So the eye is itchy. The chronic blepharitis caused by this bug can on occasion in infect one of the meibomian glands. So you, you get the sort of start of a sty. And if it continuously is there or doesn't respond to treatment, then you've got to look for an additional source of these bugs. And a very common source of these bugs is in your own nose or in someone mm -hmm. else's nose. 
And someone who has the bug in their nose may on occasion get a really sore nose. That's called vestibulitis nasi. And you can treat it. And sometimes you can, be, you can have this bug in your nose without having any symptoms. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense to treat the nose irrespective with an ointment that you use twice a day in the nose for three months yeah. to eradicate this bug. And then you may find it improve. And on the very odd occasion, very odd occasion, I've seen people who, um, who get it from dogs. So dogs can also carry the same bug. But that's only if they're in your that's face rare. frequently. There we have to leave it. Arthur, so many questions coming in, but I thank you very much uh, for joining us. Dr. Arthur Cummings, Medical Director and Consultant Ophthalmologist at the Wellington Eye Clinic at The Beacon in Dublin. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.